Well, it's good to see each and every one of you here this morning. If we haven't met, my name is Marvin. I'm one of the pastors here at the, at the church, and it's my joy to be able to stand up here to worship the Lord in, in our word this morning. Last week, uh, we started a new series uh, as we come into this year uh, titled Breaking the Cycle, and it's a, it's a series in the book of Judges. Now, true to form, Pastor Rick did not stick to the book of Judges. He decided to go one step beyond. He kind of laid the foundation, if you will, in the book of Joshua and talked a little bit about what, what's leading up to the book of Judges. And so today, I get to officially kick off the book of Judges. Um, for those of you here who are sports fans, you love athletics, you love sports, you love tracking it, I'm going to throw out a few names. Let's see if you can tie whatever the common denominator is. Chris Benoit, the wrestler. Okay. Lance Armstrong. O.J. Simpson. Aaron Hernandez. Mike Tyson. Anything? <laughs> Crimes. <laughs> Body strength. No, none of those. Let, let me give jail. That's, that's, a, that's very close. Let, let me give you two words. A downward spiral. Right? You hear, you see their names and you realize, wow, they messed it up. Right, you hear their stories and how they how accomplished they were. You hear about all the effort that they put in, and a few bad decisions, a few bad choices, and all of a sudden everything is gone. They're kicked out of their sport. They're kicked out of all their endorsements. Everything's just fallen apart. Now we look at people like that, and sometimes we kind of have a guilty pleasure of following these stories because we want to see where they go. Right? We'll we'll see, you know, what people will put themselves through. Sometimes it even happens to those close around us. We we know people who have gone through downward spirals, and we stand back and we watch. And sometimes, for those of us watching. It's easy to spot. It's easy to say, oh, if only you hadn't made that choice, this wouldn't lead to this choice, wouldn't lead to that choice, and now you wouldn't be where you are. But for some of us who, who've experienced downward spirals ourselves, it's a lot harder to understand. It's a lot harder to comprehend. It's a lot harder to know when we're making those decisions. So today, that's where we are. We're coming to the book of Judges, and we're going to see a very similar spiral. And we're going to see in the, the life of the people of Israel some of the choices that they make, some of the things that they experience that lead them up here. You see, when we come to the book of Judges, we're given a spiritual pulse of their relationship with God. If you, if you look at their story, you'll see highs and lows. You'll see moments where they're absolutely trusting and moments where they've walked away from God. You'll see, you'll see moments where uh, they, they rush into the battle, battlefield because they know that the Lord is with them. And then there are times where they fall apart completely. But as you're reading their story, some of us, we may have a moment to kind of look inward. And as we do we realize that's our story too, right? How many of us can relate to the fact that we have ups and downs? 
We have moments where we feel, you know what, today I am close to God. Today I feel it. Today I'm worshiping. My hands are raised. My voice is loud. My, I just feel it. And for some of us in this room, we're going, I barely made, myself, made, made it into this room. I can't feel God. I can't hear God. I just feel like I'm in this rut. I just feel like everything's falling, uh, falling apart around me. Well, if you're thinking these thoughts, this is the best place to be because we're going to talk about it today in the book of Judges. You see, Judges, uh, let's give you a little bit of a timeline. Pastor Rick alluded to it last week, but I want to give you a perspective of where it lays. So Judges shows up right between Joshua. So we talked about Joshua and how he had led. So you have the Israelites who are coming out of Egypt. They wandered the wilderness under the leadership of Moses. Moses passes on. He dies. And Joshua takes over. Joshua leads the people. Now they're in the promised land. And now Joshua's gone. This marks the beginning of the book of Judges or the era of Judges. And it ends when Saul is made king. So you have this time between Joshua and Saul where God raises up people to, God raises up judges to rule over Israel. And so this is, this is the area we're talking about roughly 300 plus years here where we're t- going to see a very similar pattern. We're going to see those highs. We're going to see those lows. We're going to see rebellion. We're going to see them devoted, committed people of God. You're going to see all those those in there. Now, during this time, during the time of Judges, there was no king, right? Uh, There was no king, and it was by design. It was by design because God was to be ultimately their king. God had designed it in a way where he would be king. He had already given them the law. He had already given them everything that they needed to be able to live the life that God wanted them to. But how many of us know that sometimes it's just not enough? We can have everything at our disposal and still find a way to mess it up. Well, the Israelites did. They had, they had everything. They had Joshua, who was a great leader. He, and last week, we heard about how they had this moment where they all said, you know what, we are going to follow God. We are going to do everything that he has called us to. We're going we're gonna to follow this law. We're going to live by the law. And as we come to chapter 1, we'll see that a generation passes. Chapter 2, a generation passes And it's no longer the case. The people of Israel, they abandoned the law. You see, they have something in common with our culture today. We don't like it when people tell us what to do. Right? That's very eerily similar to our culture today. And here's what I want to ask you today. So judges, or in Joshua, we hear the people making this proclamation saying, we will do whatever God has called us to. We will live the life that God has called us to live. As a matter of fact, this is what he says in Joshua 24, 24, the Lord our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. That's the end of the book of Joshua. Now, if I could forward you to the end of the book of Judges, 
And this is what it reads, Judges 21-25. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Two extremes. So here you have a people who are committed and says, I will do exactly whatever God tells me to. And now you have a few pages later and everyone doing what was right in his or her eyes. So my question here, what happened? What happened? What, what had to happen from going up here, the highest of highs, spiritual highs, to the lowest of low? What happened? Well, I'll talk, we'll talk about it, and in, in, in when you read chapter 2, we'll, we'll read through some of the scriptures together. You'll see a little bit of a pattern developing. And so we'll talk through the pattern. I'll mention a few words, and we'll, we'll talk about it. First is this pattern of disobedience. Disobedience. In chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, this is what the judges, the author, records. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and Ashtaroth. This is the first stage of the cycle that's going to repeat itself over and over and over and over This is the first step of the cycle for a lot of us. You see, right after Joshua dies, that generation that he lived in also dies. This new generation comes in, and all of a sudden, they live a life of disobedience. The people rebel. They forsake the Lord, their God, the God that their fathers had worshipped, the God that rescued them. The God that brought them out of Egypt, the God that led them through the waters, through the Red Sea and through the Jordan and fed them in the, in the desert, all of a sudden, they have no memory of him. They decide to become like the people that they lived among, disobedience. And the next step, so you have this stage where people disobey God and then it leads them into this area of discipline. And this is what the author says. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, for the Lord had warned, and as the Lord had sworn to them. So here you have first stage, disobedience. And second stage, they disobeyed so much so that they provoked the Lord to anger. And now you have discipline. So the, action, the, the actions, their actions anger God. And he allows them to be captured by the people around them. It's not the ideal. It's not what God wanted for them. But because of their actions, these are the consequences that lead up to it. People all around them rose up and they invade Israel and they were no longer able to resist. Because this is what the the scripture says, the Lord's hand was against them. Disobedience leading to discipline. See, sometimes we miss the irony here. 
these enemies are the very people that God had told the Israelites to chase out. And now all of a sudden they're coming over and taking over and plundering and ravaging these people. And we'll talk about that in a second, but let's, t- let's park for a second here. Discipline is a word that we often don't like to hear. And in our Christian worldview, and sometimes especially in, in, in the culture that we're in, we don't like to think of our actions having consequences. But sometimes, I wonder if we too quickly gloss over the fact that sometimes our trials and our failures and the things that we experience might not necessarily be the enemy attacking us, might not necessarily be being the world conspiring against us, might not always be everything falling apart, but instead might be us experiencing the consequences of our disobedience to God. See, when we allow things that shouldn't be in our lives, we experience the consequences of it. Yes, there's grace, and we'll talk about that. But here they are, experiencing discipline. And then we move on to the next phase of distress. In 2.15, we read, And they were in great distress. Essentially saying, they cried out. They just couldn't take it anymore. They'd experienced the pain, and they'd experienced the agony, and they'd been experiencing people ravaging and destroying their culture, and they cried out to the Lord, and the Lord heard. And so it comes in the next stage where out of distress, the Lord sends them a deliverer. You see, he doesn't just leave them there. He doesn't tell them, oh, you disobeyed, so you experience it. No, instead, he hears the cry of his people. And sometimes we often talk about prayer and us crying. And so often we respond like how they did. But sometimes, what if we just cried out to the Lord at all times? The Lord hears. And he sends them a deliverer. In verse 16, then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of those who plundered them. So here you have disobedience leading to discipline. Discipline leading to distress, and out of the distress, God raises up a judge. And this is the pattern you're going to see over and over again. And this judge would lead them out of whatever they were experiencing. This judge would be the person God would have raised to say, you know what, there is a problem, there is a people that you need to fight back, there is a sin that you need to control, there is something that needs to be addressed, and this judge would come in and help them through this. God would use this judge miraculously to bring them out of that situation. And things are great. They respond in in kind and they're worshiping the Lord. And it would be great if the story ended there. But unfortunately, we have the next stage is dissent. Disobedience to discipline, to distress, to deliverer, to dissent. And so often in these stories that you're going to hear over the next few weeks, you'll hear about the great things that God accomplished through the judges and the great ways that they worshipped. And then you'll hear about, and they went right back. They went right back. Chapter 2, verses 17 through 19, let me read this for you. Yet they did not listen to the judges 
for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. And they soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up the judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of, their, of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them, and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways." This is the picture we'll see painted over and over. Someone have this image of a downward spiral. Because what the, the author says is they were worse off than the first time. They were worse off than before they cried out. They would disobey God. They would experience the consequences, they would uh, cry out, they would be delivered, and they would go back. This is, maybe this sounds familiar to us, maybe it's in our own lives, sometimes we experience this sort of a spiral. Sometimes you hear phrases like, I will do better from now on, or I promise I'll never do that again. We all know people we can, who've put us through that or maybe ourselves. We've done the same thing where we experience God's love. We experience the love of the people around us. Maybe we find ourselves in impossible situations and God races and, and, and we're in this pain and in, this, in the consequence and we cry out and God sends somebody or something and we're rescued and we're, we're, we're doing great. The great thing about the book of Judges is we can identify ourselves in all of these stages. Maybe you're in the stage where you're disobeying God. Maybe you're in the stage where you're out in in distress. Maybe you're in the stage where you're being delivered. We're all, this book speaks to us so clearly. And so over the next few weeks, we're we're gonna hear of different judges and how God delivered But the story is this, that it got worse and worse. Now, I'm not trying to depress you. I'm not trying to bring us down. And there is a resolution to the story. But this is how the story goes. And again, I want to ask this question. Why does this happen? Remember those two verses, one from Joshua, where it said, we will follow God, we will, this is the God, this is the, the Lord our God, we will serve, and his voice will obey, and then the other verse at the end of Judges that says, they did everything that was right in his or her eyes. So again, this question, why? Why did they fall into the cycle? And if they fell into the cycle, how do we fall into the cycle sometimes? Well, here, here's a couple of things I want to mention, and then we'll, we'll wrap up here. But the two things are this. We sometimes enter the cycle because we don't really know God. To answer, really answer this question, we kind of have to backtrack into chapter one. So here's the story. 
So the people of Israel, they came out of the land of Egypt, they went through the wilderness, and, but even before all of that, there was a promise to one of their ancestors named Abraham. And to Abraham, God appeared one day, and God promises him, saying that to your family, I promise this land, this land of Canaan. And so God, in his miraculous way, it's hundreds of years later, but he is finally bringing them into the fulfillment of that promise. And so here you have these people who've traveled all the way from Egypt into the wilderness, and they're finally in the promised land. But here's the catch. The land is yours, but you've got to take it. There's some work to be done, some assembly required. The promise is yours, but there is something that needed to be done. And this something was for them to drive out the inhabitants of the land. And now in our 21st century eyes, we're we're probably thinking, that's not fair. This is, it seems like some sort of a racial issue going on, some sort of a cleansing going on. There's, it was none of that. What God was doing, and if you read Judges, you will see that the people who lived those lands, lived in those lands, the Canaanites and the other people, and there's a long list of them, they were evil. As a matter of fact, in chapter one, there is a story of a king who, when he captured Other kings, his job was to cut off their thumbs and their toes, and they would stand without any balance, kind of doing one of these things in his court. And you'll see stories after stories of of evil after evil after evil. And so when God tells them, rid these people, he's saying, finally, justice is coming to the land. But on top of that, he's also saying, these people have filled the land with their idols, with their bales, and with their Ashtaroth, and it's time for, for the slate to be wiped clean, for the gods to be removed, and for right worship to be established. And he is saying, as a people, this is your promised land, but you get to bring my justice. You get to bring my worship into this land. And he sends them into this land. And he sends them with an assignment. And you see chapter 1, and you see how things are starting to go well. And he says, they ask the Lord, who shall, we, who shall go? And the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Simeon. And they all go in. They start doing what the Lord asked them to do. And it's great. Verse 19, it was well until it was not. Verse 19 says, And the Lord was with Judah, the tribe of Judah, and he took possession of the hill country, but he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain. Because why? Because they had chariots of iron. All right. Let's pause. Do you see the irony there? Let's put that verse right back. And the Lord was with Judah... But they could not do what God had called them to because of what? They had chariots of iron. All of a sudden, you have a people who are on this incredible streak, who are coming in like a force. They're coming in. They're taking over the land. They're taking over everything. They're establishing themselves. They're finally settling, settling down, and they see chariots of iron, and they say, this is the line. We can't do this. The Lord was with them, and yet 
their focus was not on the Lord, was on the chariots of iron. You see, this is the same God, as I'd mentioned before, that did the miraculous. This is the generation, the same generation who walked with Joshua. They had crossed the Jordan River at flood state. They remember being fed in the in the desert, they remember Jericho, the walls of Jericho coming down. They remember all of these miracles, and yet chariots of iron stopped them. You see, we enter this cycle, this spiral, because we do not truly know God. You see, they knew God, but they didn't really know God. And in the Hebrew is this word, yada, that the Hebrew, the writer uses. And that word is to truly, intimately know him. It's to go beyond, hey, I've read the story, I know the history, I've read the articles, to I know, I've experienced, I've, I've was there, I've, I know him. Like a husband and a wife, they know each other, or a father and a child, they know each other. There's a relationship of knowing there. Can I put to you that sometimes we enter spirals and we descend into this, into poor choices and things that should not be because we do not truly know our God. Because we do not truly know the power that God has endowed in us, the power that he has given us, the Holy Spirit that is in us because we do not truly know him. And as you go through the end of this, through, into the end of this chapter, you will see reason after reason. This tribe, Manasseh, could not do this because. Or Dan could not do this because. Or Naphtali could not do this because. And you have this list of tribes, all of them stopping right before the end. They, all they had to do was push through and they stopped. And here's, here's how Tim Keller, in his commentary, he puts it this way. He says, it's almost like a press release that they're putting out. And they're saying, we did our best, but we just could not finish it. And this is the reason why. We, we, there were chariots of iron. They were strong people. The Canaanites really did not want to leave. They stayed there. No matter what we said, we sent them letters. We, sent, we uh, threw things at them. They just would not leave. And that's what it says. The Canaanites did not leave. And so they said, all right, we'll live, we'll live together. We'll live in the same place. And what was supposed to be a cleansing, what was supposed to be a clearing out, now became cohabitation. What was never supposed to be together, now is suddenly together. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob now is suddenly occupying the same space as Baal and Ashtaroth. In the next chapter, this is God assesses their situation. In chapter 2, verses 1 on, this is what he reads. I brought you up out of Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this that you have done? So now I say, 
I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. Do you recognize, this, recognize the two stages? Disobedience leading to discipline. Here's God looking at them and saying, your inability to, inability to take a land which I promised you, which I am there with you, I would have helped you get it, but you would not. They say, oh, we could not do it. And God is looking at them saying, no, you would not do it. You have the power to do it. You have the power to overcome it, but something stopped you. You yourself stopped your, you stop your own progress. We enter this cycle when we don't truly know God. You see, God, God wants lordship over every area of our lives. What they were doing here when they did not complete God's command to them, when they did not complete God's assignment, you see, they obeyed. They partially obeyed. Can I put to you that partial obedience is still disobedience? Partial obedience on their part. Yes, they got there, finally settled down, but they didn't complete the job. Partial obedience tends towards non-obedience is what the word of God says in this situation. You see, the cycle for Israel began when they no longer knew who God really was. When they took their focus off of the God that was with them onto the people that they had to interact with, onto the assignment, onto the, onto the, the enormity of this assignment, when they finally moved their focus, they lost all perspective. And there's a lesson for us in there today. No matter where you are and what you're experiencing, what you're, what you're working out, what we're working through, there is a purpose for you being there. God has put you where you are, in your family, in your workplace, in your surroundings, in your, in your, in your circles of influence for a reason with a purpose. And for us, our call is to fulfill it. Not to get halfway, not to get three-fourths of the way, not to get seven-eighths of the way and stop, but instead to go all the way. You see, by all measures, the Israelites, they were still a religious people. They were still worshiping God. They were still, they were still offering sacrifices. But what their story tells us is that it's possible to be religious and yet be without faith. It's possible for us to do all the right things, but not truly hear what God is telling us. It's possible to say all the right things, but not do what God is calling us to do. And that's the story of Israel, the beginning of the cycle. You see, how do we avoid getting into this, into this spiral? We know God. Truly know God. Go beyond just a cursory reading. Go beyond just a cursory understanding. But instead, 
delving into the richness of his his glory and delving into the richness of who he is, his promises to you, his power that he's given you, his goodness and his mercies to you, and saying, God, I want to really know you. See, there's also another way that they that they entered the cycle. There was a compromise that happened. Not only did they stop short of what God had commanded them to, they compromised. The Canaanites did not want to leave. So guess what? We'll live together. The Canaanites did not want to get rid of their gods. So guess what? We'll all just coexist. And eventually, the idols that were present, that allowed in their lives, and I hope you remember from last week, those idols that we talked about and those idols that you hopefully wrote on those sheets of paper and dissolved in the water, if you can recall them. You see, the idols that Israel allowed in their lives would become their downfall. The idols that they tolerated would overcome them would eventually be their destruction. And so as you recall those idols that we wrote last week, this is what the story of Israel says. If you allow it to take a hold in your life, if you give it any space, if you give it any air, what it eventually does, it takes over. It takes over. It leads to destruction. And God is saying partial obedience is still disobedience. He's saying, when God is saying, remove the idols, he is talking about an absolute destruction of the idol. And so from last week, if God, the Holy Spirit, reminded you of certain things that need to be addressed, this is a great Sunday to start working on that. It's a great day to ask the Lord, God, I can't do this. I need your help to remove the idols from my life. We continue the cycle when we do not make God known. We, we enter the cycle when we don't know God ourselves, and we continue in it when we don't make him known. And let me explain. In chapter 2, verses 10 through 11, this, there is, so how the book of Judges is, there's an introduction in chapter 1, they give you a brief history, and then goes back in chapter 2 and gives you another introduction where they talk about Joshua again. And so Joshua, for the second time, is, die, is dead. And now as, as Joshua goes, so does the generation, the generation that we just talked about, the generation that did not complete their assignment that generation passes on too. And this is what the author says, and all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. First, you had a generation that did not really know the Lord, And now you have another generation that has completely walked away. After Joshua died and the generation passes on with him, it seems that the faith had died too. This led to a generation that did not know the Lord and did not live out their calling. It's not that they didn't know their history. 
Instead, it was no longer a priority to them. It was not that they didn't understand, oh, this is where we came from and this is how we got here. But instead, the power and the preciousness of it was taken away. And now all of a sudden, they're just one amongst many in the land. They had not learned to revere and rejoice in what God had done for them. In other words, they forgot the gospel. They forgot their salvation from Egypt. They forgot how God had taken them. They forgot all of the things that God had himself done. And in our own lives today, sometimes this happens. There is a generation who is leaving that is unfortunately not passing on the faith to, to the generation that's coming. And it might be between a parent and a child. It might be as a community. It might be as a church. But the story of Israel, I mean, in this specific instance, is talking about generation fathers and mothers not passing on their, the faith when God had clearly asked them to. But for a moment, let me take a quick, quick tangent here. Some would look at this and say, oh, it is the older generation's fault. It is their fault. They did not pass it on. But it's possible that a Christian father and mother can do everything possible to pass on their faith, to raise them upright, put them in the right situation, and yet for the child to rebel. And so here you have a combination of both. You have a combination of the older generation not fully living out their faith. And then you have a combination of, uh, of the next generation who comes in with a fury doing whatever was right in their own eyes. And when you have these two, you have the perfect storm. You have a people who have walked away from God. You see, commitment in the older generation was replaced by complacency. And that complacency then by complete compromise. Do we have, as parents and as, as people in the church, do we have a responsibility to pass on the faith? Absolutely, we do. But is there a responsibility for the younger generation to take hold and to experience God for themselves? Absolutely. We continue in the cycle when we do not make God known. Again, to continue an athletic uh, image, most of you may have watched or experienced a relay race. And the thing about a relay race, the, the objective in a relay race is for a baton to start at the start line to make it to the finish. But it's not just one person running it, it's multiple people running it. And so the idea is one person runs efficiently and with speed and gets to the second person and without stopping in motion as they run together, one grabs the baton and takes off to the next and this is the idea that God is implying here, saying this is your job. 
As parents, you're the ones coming in with the baton, running alongside your children as, as uh, volunteers in kids' ministry and as people of God, as people who are called to take the gospel to the world. It is our responsibility to come in with the baton of the gospel and pass it on so that the next generation can run with it. Passing on the faith is not, is not genetic. It's an intentional act. It doesn't happen by osmosis. They don't just absorb it. It's not someone else's job. You see, first, it starts in us. Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 9, and I'm going to close here. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. This is what the Lord says to his people. These commandments that I give you today are to be in your hearts. This is where it starts. Know him. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols in, on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. It starts with in here and it travels out. It starts with a life that is lived and life that is displayed. A faith that is not lived out is a faith that is not passed on. You see, when we don't live out our faith, the generation coming up behind us, the people around us, they have nothing to hold on to. There's no baton for them to run with. Elton Trueblood, a, a philosopher, often refers to Western society as cut flower generation. And what he means by a cut flower generation is if you look at a vase full of flowers, they're gorgeous, they're beautiful, they're full of vibrancy and color. But the reality is it only lasts for a moment because they're no longer connected to the root. They are cut. They're still vibrant. They're still in water, but they'll only last a few more days. And he's saying when us as parents and us as the children of God, when we don't pass on our faith, when we don't pass on what God has given us, it's like a cut flower generation coming up after us. They'll look good, won't last. We're all in this cycle. This is a cycle that we're all in. A cycle of disobedience and a cycle of just distress or uh, um, disobedience and God disciplines them and then they go into distress and God delivers them and they descend back into disobedience and, and it's, it's that cycle that continues. And as people of God, we too can find ourselves there. You see, this, the book of Judges, as we, as we go through it, we're going to see that the cycle keeps going and going. But God raises up people to address that issue. But here's the rub. The people that come up, they're not perfect. They're broken people too. They're part of the system too. So how do you accomplish salvation through a system that's broken? The judges would come and we'll hear stories of how they lived and their deficiencies and all that. But what it all points to is that someone would have to come 
that is beyond it all, that, is, that has no fault, that has no deficiency, and it all points to the fact that there is a judge that is coming, that is coming, and eventually Christ would come. Christ the judge came. Christ the judge came, and he took on the pain. He took on this disobedience. He took on the discipline that God had to give his people. He took it all on so that we would no longer have to be on this cycle. That we could escape the cycle. You see, all we can do is try to break free, but in our power, we have no ability to do so. If we're going to break free of this cycle, it is only through Christ. If we're going to escape this cycle, it's only through the work of Christ. If we're going to know Him, it's through Christ. If we're going to know God, it is through Christ. And if we're going to make Him known, it is Christ that we're making known. So this morning, as we come to a close and as we're going to worship, let's take a moment. There's a lot here that needs to be unpacked, and I hope you take some time as we go through to think, to think about where we are in the cycle. If we have truly responded to the work of Christ, if we truly know God, it's one thing to know God, but one thing to experience Him. And this morning, Please don't leave here without having that experience with him, without having grappled with him in prayer, without having grappled with him about the idols that exist in your heart, without having dealt with some of these things. And so as we're closing, we're going to leave some space open and we're going to leave some space for us to just worship and ask the Lord to illuminate those areas that need to be dealt with. We enter this cycle when we do not know God. We enter, we continue in this cycle when we don't make Him known. And the inverse is true. You see, we, we exist out of it when we truly know Him, when we experience Christ, when we experience Christ's work for us. So my prayer for you today is if you haven't experienced Christ, I hope that you would you would let him, you would surrender to him, that you would open your heart to him. There's a prayer on the back of your connect card that you would take that prayer and truly pray it today. If you'd love to talk, if you'd like to talk to one of us, we'd love to talk with you about what it means to truly know him and to make him known. So would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your goodness and your, your mercies over us. Lord, the stories in your scriptures serve as, as reminders of who you are, your grace towards us, but they also serve as stark warnings. And Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to truly know you. Lord, Lord, help us not get caught up in this cycle of brokenness, this cycle of sin, this cycle of the spiral away from you, but instead help us break free through your work on that cross. Lord, today, speak in and through us. Speak to us, Lord. Speak to us about the idols that we may have let in, the compromises that we have made, we have made the things that we, short, we stop short of in following. Help us live that life of surrender to you. 
We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.